You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 to 26. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad, and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, silver and gold, singers, concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been done, will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to, rec- only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Wilson. I said in my heart, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity 
So I turned to consider wisdom, and this too was vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to toil. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Our passage this morning harkens back to the opening lines of the book of Ecclesiastes, the series that we're going through now, where we find that all is vanity. And in this chapter, Solomon lays out more specifically what he means. That pleasure is vanity, that living wisely is vanity, that work is vanity. But actually, as Kyle explained last week, the word vanity is probably better translated as vapor or smoke from the Hebrew word hevel. And in this sense, we might hear the preacher say instead, smoke, smoke, everything is smoke. It's all a striving after the wind, pleasure, smoke, toil, smoke, wise living, smoke or vapor. If you've ever tried to hold in your hand smoke, you'll know that it's not an easy thing to do. But this, the preacher tells us, is what many of us are trying to do with our lives trying to grasp the things of life in order to gain some sense of control or mastery, some kind of a certainty over the lives that we lead. And we think wisdom is about gaining this kind of mastery. But here, in this text, Solomon instructs us otherwise. Wisdom sees that many aspects of the lives that we live are enigmatic, inexplicable, even baffling, suffering, how we ended up where we are, how we ended up marrying the spouse that we married, perhaps, why this person got sick and this person didn't, why this person died prematurely and we remain all of these kinds of questions. We try to come up with explanations for these things, but much of it if we're honest, remains beyond us. And wisdom, rather than offering a privileged position to understand all these things, acknowledges our severe limitations, including this, that when we try to squeeze out from life something that's lasting and permanent, something worth living for, in the end, it escapes us. Whatever pleasure we're after, wisdom we're after, whatever work we might accomplish, in the end, Solomon tells us, it's all hevel, vapor, a chasing after the wind. What are you chasing after? This morning, Solomon calls us to consider with him that things of this life are but a vapor, even the best things. And in the end, Solomon instructs us, as we'll see, in a better way. We'll begin by briefly considering two vaporous elements of life. Pleasure, pleasure seeking, and wise living. Before then coming to Solomon's wise conclusion, his solution for us. So first, the vapor of pleasure. We find in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
Solomon goes on to explain that he sought pleasure in laughter and in wine and in women and in building beautiful buildings and parks and gardens and irrigation systems. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And in all of this, he says, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. It's very interesting, isn't it? We might think of what Solomon's doing here as pure pagan pleasure-seeking, but that's not what Solomon says. He says that through all of this pleasure-seeking, he was guided by wisdom, that wisdom remained with him. And it's worth reminding ourselves at this point that this is the same Solomon speaking who God promised to make wise in the first place. The same Solomon whom God himself appointed as king over Israel. And of course, this is not to say that this Solomon was perfect, but we should remember that he also wasn't a pagan. His was a life well-ordered within the regular rhythms of the worship of Yahweh. In the temple, singing the Psalms, offering sacrifice in covenant fellowship with God. And yet, Solomon here in this context is putting an innate human desire to the test. A desire that I presume that you and I share with him, or at least have shared with him, the question, what would it be like to pursue pleasure in our lives unyieldingly? And would such a pursuit bring satisfaction? Do you ever wonder? Why not just follow the desires of our hearts? Why not just give in to whatever cravings we're feeling? Would it not lead to a fuller and happier life? Of course, this has been tried by many, and maybe by you, and tried with varying degrees of success. But as far as I can tell, most, if not all, who try it come to the end and find the same thing that Solomon found. And here's what he found. But behold, he says, this also, all of this pleasure-seeking, was vanity. I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What about you? Where have you sought to find your meaning and contentment? Family, friendships perhaps, your children, work, sex, sensuality, in your body, or pursuing justice or social change, whatever it is, here's what the teacher teaches us, and bluntly. If you're looking for deep and lasting pleasure, meaning, purpose, in any of these things, here's the thing. You won't find it. And you'll find instead what he calls vapor or a mist, here today and gone tomorrow. This is the vapor of pleasure or self-indulgence. Second, the vapor of living wisely. You can look at verse 12. 
So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. And in what follows, here Solomon comes to consider whether wisdom will prove to be substantial, a deep anchor that secures him through trouble. But again, he goes on to say that while it's better to be wise than foolish, to be sure, in some ways at least, in one important sense, he says, the same thing in the end happens to us all. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, he says, seeing that in the end, or seeing that in the days to come, all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. Think of all the unhappy billionaires and famous folks. Think about people in your own lives who, have, who seem to have it all. Maybe that's you yourself in relation to your neighbors. And then think of all the happy poor who may not have the kind of wisdom uh, that would bring them to accumulate the kinds of things that these rich and famous have accumulated. But then these happy poor who still find a greater measure of happiness, even in their poverty. And then consider that whether the, poor, uh, whether the poor or the rich are happy or unhappy, in the end, according to Solomon, it does not really matter. Because ultimately, he says, the same end will come to both. Through a continuous striving after the wind, both will meet together in the end, exposed, naked before God in death, which is the final judgment of God. Yes, you may accumulate many things in this life by a kind of wisdom. You may even outdo your neighbors on both sides of you and across the street. You may enjoy enough of a God-given wisdom so as to be able to amass lots of things that the world deems valuable and more power to you, says Solomon. But in the end, it is vapor, smoke. And the path of true wisdom recognizes this, that all the self-indulgent pleasures the world has on offer And all the wise living that you can do won't actually give you the kind of lasting substance that you're after, that your heart craves, that you really need. That safety, that security, that salvation, health and peace. Death and all the calamities of life are in the end coming to us all. Nothing new is under the sun. And what is Solomon's response then to all of this? We find it in verse 17. So I hated life, he says, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. For those of us quite content with the things we've amassed in this life, there is a strong warning here that loving life in a certain way, in the way that Solomon speaks of it, loving life proves that we've only forsaken wisdom. John in the New Testament puts it this way, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, a strong warning. It's interesting how easily we can think that the prosperous life, to love life, is to be blessed by God. 
But we need to be careful here. There's a warning here from Solomon. And we find it also with the psalmist. Oh, how the wicked prosper, praise the psalmist. See, in God's world, things are often turned upside down. Where suffering is a mark of God's discipline and blessing, prosperity is often a mark of God's giving people over to loving life in a way that in the end will only lead to death. And what Solomon teaches us here is that wisdom sees life for the vaporous thing it is. Do you see it? If I'm honest, I confess that I don't. That far too often I cling to life. Too often I live as though this is all that there is. Not as though pleasure or wise living and toil are vaporous here today and gone tomorrow, but as though these are the things that I have to cling to. In summary, here's how Solomon talks about all his pleasure-seeking and wise living toil. He says this, This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And perhaps some of you can relate. Perhaps you're listening, and this is how life often feels to you, full of sorrow, as Solomon says. Work is a vexation. Your heart through the night does not rest. And if that's you, Solomon says, yes, yes, I know. Because wisdom understands that life is not easy, that it is full of sorrow and vexation. The things of life, vaporous, ungraspable. And that in the end, we all come to death under the mighty hand of God. Well, this has all been very depressing. And yet, according to Solomon, these are the very, very realities that the wise man and wise woman must come to terms with. And all of that in order to find life. Okay. Uh, the point of this realistic vision of life is to come to some firm footing to live from. Wisdom says... We have to name things as they are, and so be set free. So stop living as though this is all that there is. Stop pretending that this world can offer what you're really after. Stop living as though you're in charge when you're not. God is. Stop pretending like your pleasures will last, says Solomon. Like your sin doesn't matter like God isn't your God, and like you're not accountable with every breath that you take to Him. We play games, don't we? As though worldly pleasures are what we should be after, competing with each other's Instagram accounts, trying to gain some sense of self-importance. And to all of this, Solomon says, stop it. When will we recognize that all of it is a vapor and a chasing after the wind? Well, you might ask at this point, 
Where then do we go? What are we to do? If not to squeeze joy out of life, if we can't find lasting fulfillment here, where do we go? And here is Solomon's surprising answer. He says this in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And you say, what? I thought Solomon said eating and drinking and toil, even living wisely, was meaningless, a vapor. And now he's saying that there's nothing better? Well, to be clear, what Solomon has been saying is that these things, pleasure, wise living, toil, are all but a vapor, hevel, and that to find life's meaning in any of them is to grasp at the wind. That's true. But to see these same things, life's good gifts for what they are, pleasures, wisdom, and toil of all kinds, and to receive them as gifts from the hand of God, there is nothing better, says Solomon. In the words of Solomon again, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And he continues, for apart from God, who can eat or drink or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Do you hear what Solomon's saying? Creatures of God, made by God for God, should find great joy in feasting, great joy in food and drink, great joy in the work of our hands. There is, according to Solomon, nothing better. And while I want to be clear, that humans naturally, I'd say all too naturally, idolize and misuse the good gifts of God. That's true. But I also want to be clear with Solomon that rightly received in faith, there is nothing better. So men, enjoy the wife whom you love, we're told. Enjoy her body and soul with all that that means. And I'm not going to go into detail because I understand we have children listening. And women, likewise, enjoy your husbands and enjoy the good gifts of food and wine. Yes, Solomon says, and wine. Drink and be glad with all the caveats, of course, of not getting drunk. But drink and be glad and strive to enjoy the work of your hands. Enjoy it as the calling of God for your life. Yes, life is indeed filled with sorrow. Wisdom knows this, full of vexation. But what is our response as the people of God to all of the sorrows and tragedies, vexations of life? What is our response? Here it is. We are invited to feast in the face of sorrow. We're invited to take pleasure in toil, even in the midst of the curse. We enjoy these vaporous gifts in a vaporous world, all to the glory of God. Why and how? How is it that we can feast, that we can be invited to feast, even in the face of sorrow and death? Well, it's only because 
There's one who's gone before us, who's faced sorrow and death for us, who's done work for us, who's toiled for us, even endured the cross for us and for the joy set before him. It's only because Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, prepared a meal before us, even in the presence of our enemies, as the 23rd Psalm says. How can we feast in the face of sorrow and death? Only because Jesus offers us his very life. He says, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. My flesh is real food, he says. My blood is real drink. And in fact, it is the realest food and drink that our world has ever known. It is the food that gives life. It is the drink that brings joy. It is the body and the blood of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And whether you're a Christian or not, here is what I want to make most clear this morning from our passage that it is only in feasting on the life that is Jesus Christ, his body, his blood, that we are welcomed in and through him to find enjoyment in the things of this life, in the vaporous things of this life. For apart from God, Solomon asks, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, joy to the one who pleases God. You see, the life of enjoyment, even in the face of sorrow, begins with God. And this is something that we'll see more in the coming weeks, that it begins with the fear of God and the obedience of his commands. And so the call here is to live your life to please God in the fear of God. And in doing so, to enjoy every gift that the Lord has to offer, food, drink, spouse, work, God's gifts for our joy, joy to the vaporous world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.